Well, we are continuing our study in the book of John, and we are actually starting a a kind of a mini-series on the I am statements in John. These are the times that Jesus says over and over, I am, and then fill in the blank this thing. And he's talking about his character and who he is, but he's uh, he's also describing himself as God. Remember, we talked about this actually a couple of weeks ago, that God, when he reveals himself to Moses at the burning bush, Moses says, great, I'll go tell your people, but who sent me? What's your name? And God says, I am. And Jesus here throughout the Gospel of John is claiming divinity. He's claiming to be one with God by continually claiming God's name for himself. And one of the really cool things also about the way that John is laid out is that you see things like Jesus saying, uh, I am the bread of life, right after he feeds 5,000 men, probably somewhere closer to 20,000 people with real bread. You see him saying, I am the light of the world when he opens the eyes of a blind man. There's these wonderful connections between Jesus' action and what he says. And we just got to read just a few minutes ago this incredible miracle of Jesus' abundance and how he displays his incredible provision to these somewhere between ten and 20,000 people that had gathered to see him. Now we're going to get Jesus saying exactly what that provision is, exactly what that abundance is, and it is him himself. So if you will, follow along with me as we continue to read in John chapter 6, starting at verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and they went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the food that lasts. We're thankful, Lord, that you have given us not only the revelation of who you are here revealed in your word, but you have given us even yourself. Will you speak to our hearts today, unstop our ears and open our eyes, soften us so that we might hear what you have to say to us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Voltaire once said to, uh, to judge a man by his questions, not by his answers. And I think that's probably pretty good advice most of the time. You can kind of judge someone by the questions that they're asking. And you see actually through this passage that there's a crowd that's gathered who over and over is asking all the wrong questions. They are asking all the wrong questions, and because of that, they are getting all of the wrong answers. So we're going to actually look at those questions that they asked today, the questions that they asked that are the wrong questions, and we're going to actually see what the right questions are then for us to be asking and the way that Jesus answers those questions. Because the way that he is moving us and the conclusion that we finally come to in this passage is the biggest question of all, which is, who is Jesus and what are we to do with him? Keep that question in the back of your mind as we talk today. Well, here's the first question that the crowds ask, the question that kind of governs a lot of what's going on, and the question is, where are you? Verse 25, listen to this again. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? When did you come here, right? Which is basically saying, not only when did you come here, but why are you here? That's the question, not where are you, but why are you here? I had a friend uh, in college, I I still have a friend, and he lived in New York City for a while when he was uh, single, and he had this incredible habit uh, of just kind of showing up places. You never really knew when he might pop up, and uh, literally, I had this this experience one time. uh, I was on the phone, I lived in Austin at the time, I was on the phone talking to another friend about this guy, And we were talking about this guy's propensity to just show up at random places. And as I was on the phone talking about this guy and how he just shows up in random places, I walked into a coffee shop and there he was sitting in the coffee shop. He lived in New York. He was sitting in a coffee shop in Austin. What's going on? Right? So my natural question is, dude, why are you here? What's going on? That's a lot of what the crowds are asking Jesus here. They just see him and he shows up and they go, dude, why are you here? How did you get here? What's going on? Like in college when your roommate would be gone for just like three days and then just show up and you're like, where have you been, man? What's going on here? That's the question that they asked Jesus. But Jesus has this amazing way, doesn't he, of taking the questions that are the wrong questions and actually putting his own question back to the people basically saying, here's the right way you should have answered this. Listen to what he says here uh, in, the, in verse 26, the next verse. Jesus says, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. You see what Jesus says? They're saying, Jesus, why are you here? 
And what Jesus does, he says, no, really, the real question is why are you here? Are you here just to watch something fun and exciting going on? Are you here even, in a good way, to see the signs that might point to something you need? Or are you really here because you're hungry? Are you really here because you saw that I fed a lot of people yesterday, and now you want that to happen again? Why are you really here? And this really is a great question for us. It's kind of the primary question for us here in this verse. Why are we here? Why, why are we here at church? We talked about this a little a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Why are you here this morning? Are you here because maybe a friend drug you here? Or your wife made you come? Or your parents made you come? Or, or you're just ashamed of what happened last week and so you feel like there needs to be some sort of balancing of the books, some sort of penance being made and so you show up to church? Why are you here today? Maybe we're here because we want to get something good from church. Maybe even something good from Jesus. And we think, you know, church is the place where you can find healing of some sort. That's the place where you can kind of get your mind right. If everything's out of order in my life and in my mind, I can find healing in some way there. Or maybe everything is just out of order in my community or I'm detached from any community. So church is the place where I get to come and I get to find people. They're going to walk beside me and love me. Or church is the place where I get to come and kind of have some sort of respite from the difficulties of daily life. Listen, all of those things are actually good things. Jesus actually does offer healing. And church does offer community. And there is rest to be found. But why are we here? Is it just to get those things? Now, let me just say that the people who came to Jesus just for healing and just for food, guess what they got? They got healing and they got food. It's a beautiful testament to the, to the kindness and the grace of our Savior. But the real reason he calls us to come and gather today is because we were made to worship him is because we were created as creatures to worship, is because there is something in our hearts that is longing for transcendence. There is something in our hearts that knows that we need to come and bow before our King. There is something in our hearts that knows that we need to be seen and known, and we come together to worship the one who sees us and who knows us. And friends, if you are a Christian, there is something in your heart that says, I belong. I belong to Jesus. I'm found in him. And I come so that I might lay down my life because he has laid his life down for me. That's why we come to worship. Let me move on to the second question that's asked here by this crowd. And it's this, what should we do? Look at verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do, Jesus, to be doing the works of of God. See the, the progression here. They come and they say, Jesus, where'd you go? And Jesus says, no, let's talk about why you're here. And they say, uh, okay, great. Now we kind of get this. We should be here to worship. So here's the question that we have. What do we need to do? If we're here because we need to be connected to our Creator, if we're here because we need to be able to stand in right standing with our judge, if we're here because we need to come and be subjects of the king, then tell us what to do, Jesus, and let's get that done. 
Now, there's something really interesting actually going on in, in the text here that's harder to see in English. Uh, in, in Greek, there's a construction, you know, for these words, works of God, that's very vague. And so works of God could mean works that belong to God, works that God does, or it could mean works that God requires. And in the ESV translation that I read, the, those translators have chosen to leave it blank, to leave it vague, to translate it more literally and leave it vague. Uh, if the NIV, if you've got an NIV Bible and you've got it open uh, in front of you, they actually make a judgment call. And the NIV really reads, what must we do in order to be doing the works that God requires? I think the NIV translators have made the right call there. Because I think what these people are saying is not just what do we need to do, but what do we need to do in order to be made right with God? And that is a good, good question. But it is not the primary question. And here's what's really important for us to get, is that the question, what should I do, is a real and important question. It's a biblical question. The Bible talks really all the time about what needs to be done. It calls us to action. Action is a real and biblical thing. And we are called to act. But we are always called to act in response, not in order to gain. And so it's incredibly important how we understand where we put the action. And so what Jesus is saying is, listen, we're not just talking about what you do, we're talking about who does it. There's a, a TED talk by a woman named uh, Rumit Bilan, and she talks about the question that children always grow up asking each other is, what are you going to be when you grow up? What are you going to be, right? A firefighter or a nurse or a teacher or a businessman or whatever it is, and kids are always kind of dreaming about those things. And her point in this whole talk is to say, listen, that's not a bad question, but there's a better question which is, who are you going to be? Who are you going to be? And Jesus is really doing that here. He's saying, the question you should be asking is not a question of what, it's a question of who. And the who is me. I love the way that one commentator says it. He says this, this is the beginning of the great surprise of the Christian gospel, that the right relationship with God for which we were created is not the fruit of several good things we do, but it is the gift of the one main thing God does for us and in us, and then our giving His trust back in turn to His gifted Son. See, the question, what should we do, is a decent question, but it's just not the primary question. And if we get that messed up, then we are going to get things confused for our whole lives. Uh, there is a connection between who we are and what we do. A connection between who we are, our identity, and what we do, our activity. And we can't erase either one of them, but we need to make sure that we're drawing the line, the arrow, the right way. Because if we are basing our identity on our activity, if we are saying, listen, what I do is what makes me who I am, then we're going to be on this endless seesaw all of our lives, aren't we? Because what happens if what I do one day is really great things. I woke up this morning and I read my Bible and I loved my family well and I went to work and I worked hard and I came home and I cooked dinner for the family and I gave some money to charity and I went to bed thinking, man, I did pretty well today. Well, then who I am, my identity is good. 
righteous, acceptable. But what if it's just the opposite? What if my activity that day was I woke up after my alarm, forgot to read my Bible, snapped at my kids, fell asleep at work, cursed somebody out that cut me off that red light, and I go to bed thinking who I am is somebody that's unrighteous, somebody that's unacceptable, somebody that's unlovable. See how we're always on that seesaw? So what we have to do is we just have to flip the arrow. We don't erase who we are. We just have to draw it the right way. What the Bible says is that what we do is a product of who we are. Who we are is what leads to what we do. Our identity drives our activity, not the other way around. And it's so important to remember that, that Jesus says, listen, when we're talking about what to do, I need to reframe the way you're translating this. Because it's not what you must do in order to be doing what God requires. The real question, and the question for us today, is what has God done? And what is God continuing to do? That's a good place for us to just kind of stop and ponder, to ask that question of ourselves. What has God done in your life? What has He done in your heart? What is He continuing to do? How is God at work right now? And how are we then called to respond to that? How is He at work? How is He working? How is He doing the things that you can't do? Look back and even see how are you thankful for the things that God has done for you over this last year? How are you thankful for the ways that God has worked over the last 10 years or 20 years? How are you thankful for the, God, for the way that God is showing himself to be a great provider to you? That leads us then to the third question that the crowd asks here, and it's in verse 30. They're asking, what will you do for us? Let me read this for us. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What will you do for us, Jesus? I love that question. It's amazing, isn't it? This is the same crowd that just saw him perform the miracle of feeding all those people. <laughs> right before this, we actually see that Jesus walked on water. And here's their question. What sign are you going to do, Jesus? What have you done lately? Show us something that we might believe in you. And then they tell him, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. A little background on that. Uh, in the book of Exodus, remember God takes his people out of Egypt where they're slaves. He rescues them with these wonderful, mighty signs. He rips them out of the hand of the, uh, the, the strongest nation in the world at the time. And he is bringing them to the new land that he's going to give to them. And they're in the desert on the way there and they're hungry. And so God actually provides bread for them. There's manna that shows up every morning. And so here's uh, what these people are saying. Listen, we understand kind of this idea of provision, and we understand maybe that God gives things, but here's the thing. God actually gave us manna, and here's the key about manna. It showed up every day. And yeah, you fed us yesterday, <laughs> but we're hungry today. What are you going to do for us now, Jesus? What have you done for me lately, Jesus? And of course, Jesus says, you've gotten the whole story wrong because the manna isn't what really feeds you. 
There is bread that comes from heaven that feeds you, and that's what is going to satisfy you completely. The crowd still doesn't get it, of course, and they say, awesome, give us that bread. Sounds a lot like the woman at the well, doesn't it? Where Jesus says, there's a spring of living water, eternal life. And she says, great, I'd like to see that spring. Let's go, let's go find that spring so I don't have I have to come back here to this well and draw water. These people are saying the same thing. Awesome, we won't ever have to go to the store and buy bread. We won't ever have to make it. That sounds great. If there's some never-ending supply of bread, we want to see it. Jesus, this is where he comes in and just sweeps them off of their feet and blows their minds. He says, I am that bread. I am the thing that you need most. I am the thing that's really going to sustain you. This really brings us to our last question, the one that we really need to wrestle with the most, and it's this. What are you hungry for? What are you hungry for And what do you think is going to fill that hunger? That's a question that I think that we can ask whether you are investigating Jesus this morning or whether you have been walking with him for many, many years. What are we hungry for? And what do we think is going to fill that hunger? I talked to a friend the other day who had said he was uh, struggling with, uh, with desiring moderation in his life and not ever feeling it. In fact, he said, my life right now, right now feels gluttonous to some extent. You ever felt that way? Like, uh, there's, there's the things that you have these little hungers, and you're, you're always able to fill them, right? And so you go out, and you find something else that's going to fill this new desire, new stuff, new experience, new cause, and you just gorge yourself on that thing. And your life is filled with these little hungers that keep coming up. And all that you're doing, your activity is just to, to, to continually consume something to fill them. And at the end of the day, you have filled yourself in a gluttonous way. But what does gluttony always do for us? It leaves us sick and actually wanting more. And so my friend was saying, I have this yearning in my heart for some sort of moderation because my life just feels so overboard. Maybe you resonate with that. Maybe you feel just the opposite of really the feeling I feel like I have now is more like starvation because I feel so worn thin. And I feel like every morning I get up and it doesn't feel like I have what I need to make it through the day. And it always feels like I'm attacked. And there's this pervasive kind of sense of I'm about to expire. It's all about to go away. Well, guess what? The answer to the feeling of starvation and the problem of gluttony is the same. And it's to feed ourselves on the food that lasts. Because to feed on Jesus is the answer to the gluttonous lifestyle, and it's the answer to the feeling of scarcity in us as well. To feed on Jesus, and what I mean by that is to find our value our worth, our satisfaction, our joy in Him and in what He has done, and then in turn to offer our lives to glorify and serve Him. To know that the real hunger that we have can actually be filled, but it can only be filled one way. And to turn to all of these other little hungers and to try and fill them or to try and escape them is only to put little band-aids on the problem. Joy and I are, are, are hoping next month to do a little remodeling in our, in our bathroom. And by remodeling, basically what I mean is painting. 
We're not going to do a whole lot. Put a little paint on the walls, maybe replace a countertop or two. And sometimes we think, okay, that's really what Jesus wants to do in me. He wants to put a little paint up. He wants to put some Band-Aids on things. He wants to kind of satiate some of my desires really quickly. If what you're expecting Jesus to do in your life is put a little paint on the walls, you're going to be really surprised because he wants to come in with a sledgehammer. He wants to come in for a full remodeling project. (laughs) And that, of course, is exactly what we need to be filled at the deepest level of our deepest hungers to know that we are secure and safe in his arms. And that is the thing that will push out both gluttony and starvation. So let me end on another question. How is Jesus calling you to come to him and to feed on him today only? He's proven himself to be a bountiful provider. We saw it at the wedding in Cana when he made cases upon cases of wine. We saw it with the woman at the well when he told her there was a a spring that he could give her of eternal life, a spring that would never end. We saw it when he fed these 20,000 people. We're seeing it now when he says, come to me and eat and you will never be hungry again. Will you come to him this morning? Let me pray that we all would turn our hearts to that food today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, um, we want to, to first of all tell you that we, we are hungry people even though we sometimes deny it, and even though we sometimes pursue lifestyles that seek to fill that hunger in ways that never do, Lord, there is a yearning in our hearts that only you can fill. So Lord, will you, will you turn our hunger to you, and will you fill us as you have promised, so that we might rely on you for our security and our safety, our satisfaction, our happiness, our joy. We might know you as the one who always provides and always feeds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.